Thank you very much, Neil. It's great to be with you here uh, this morning. Last night, I was at the leaving do of the Archdeacon of Croydon, Chris, who used to be my Archdeacon when I was a minister in, in the Croydon Episcopal area, and chatting to my colleagues on the bishop's uh, staff team, the bishops and the archdeacons, and it was great to see loads of the clergy um, all coming up and saying, hi, Will, it's great to see you, thank you for this, that, and other. So it's wonderful this morning to be rooted back in the ground by being introduced as Angie's husband. It just reminds you that the titles that really matter are the relational ones, aren't they? Husband of Angie, father of Isabella and Becky. They are by far the best. But other than that, I am Director of Pioneering Ministry and Dean of Fresh Expressions for the Diocese of Southwark, which is, if you're in business, means Vice President Special Projects. Um, anybody gets that? Not many of you get that, but okay, fine. <laughs> My role in the diocese is to encourage new ways of being church, new forms of church, new ways of reaching out to those who don't know Jesus in the diocese. So um, I work with a good number of churches looking at new ways that you can do things. How do you empower the laity? How do you empower people in the pew or in the chair, in this case, um, to reach out to their friends, neighbours and families? And... There's a huge change, or series of changes, as we all know, going on in society. The way that society operates now is very different from, it, from that which it was 50 years ago. You know, the change in communication, the change in the way we approach things. You know, when I was growing up, Sundays were the day when all the shops closed. Nowadays, Sundays are for shopping and sports. You know, there's just a really different way in which we are approaching society. There's a change uh, to consumerism and the idea that actually I, I, I shop, therefore I am, sort of approach to life. That, that actually I want what I want. I want to have a, a say. Whereas when I was growing up, again, authority figures rule. Now we kind of have this anti-authority vibe going so you can't tell me what to do, and I can't tell you what to do. You know, it's that sort of thing. And that has profound implications in the way we do church and the way we um, allow ourselves to do church together. And there's other changes. So we're going from prove to me it's true sort of idea of faith to does this work? How does this work for me? What's my vibe that I get out of church? So there's massive tectonic plates that are moving. And one of the main issues that the church finds is that if it's not careful, it tries to defend what's already been lost. We try and prop up things that, in a sense, have had their day and passed. And we need to learn the language of our culture and our people, because otherwise we lose, and we are losing in some places in the world. So you look at the Middle East. At the beginning of the 20th century, 25% of Turkey was Christian. In the 6th century, Turkey was the centre of Christianity in the world. The Hagia Sophia uh, Cathedral that was built 
was the largest cathedral for a thousand years. The population, the Christian population of Turkey now is believed to be less than 1%. A massive change that's gone on in the last hundred years. So we've got to look at the ways in which we understand the gospel and communicate it. And that's what I'd like to do this morning. So what is the good news of Jesus Christ? Can we have our first reading? I, by the way, I'm preparing you, just so you know. In three weeks' time, you've got the bishop coming. So I've been sitting down with Ben and talking to him about what liturgy is and things like that. So, so, and that you need Bible readings and intercession. Yeah, just things, you know, things like that. So this is, it'll be a schmorzeborg. Chris will go, and you'll go, and so it'll all work. So Mark 1, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Can we leave that up? So this is really interesting. John has been arrested, John the Baptist. By the way, do I need to drop this down a little bit? Is it a bit loud or is it okay? You're okay? Fine, fine. Uh, John the Baptist has been arrested, put in prison, and Jesus sees this as the time. Now, there's two words for time in the Bible. There's chronos, which means sequential time, and there's kairos, which means a particular moment. And in the arrest of John the Baptist, Jesus sees this as a kairos moment, this moment that history has been building up to the coming of Jesus Christ and his message. Now, we're used to seeing the message of Jesus Christ as he died on the cross for me, God raised him, he has forgiven our sins, and if we will repent and come to him, you know, we get to heaven, meal ticket. But this is interesting, you see, because this is at the beginning of his he hasn't died yet. So what's the good news when you haven't died and been resurrected yet. And the great good news, so if we go back in time, you get this series of things happening through history. You have a process that keeps repeating itself in the Bible. You have creation is good and wonderful. You get the fall and exile. You get God's response which is judgment, but then seeking out. And you see that happening again and again through the Bible. So you have it right at the beginning in Genesis 1, but then you have it with um, exile into Egypt and the people of God going there, and then being redeemed and brought out of Egypt with Moses and all that. And then you have the setting up of Israel, and then you get exile again into Babylon and then coming back. And in Jesus' day, they still thought that they were in exile because the Romans was, were ruling over them. So for them, they're in a place of exile in their minds. And Jesus is coming and saying, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. And in Jewish first century mind, the kingdom of God meant that that's where God's rule and reign occurred. And so they were expecting the Messiah to come along, kick out the Romans, and establish a kingdom like David's and Solomon's. And Jesus is subverting that to say it's a bigger thing than who rules you. This is allowing God to rule and reign in your life 
so that you can set down your agendas and the weight and burdens of your worries and take up God's agenda and live freely for God. It's a way of living that Jesus is inviting people to enter. You know, we live in a world of massive pressure. You know, jobs, family, illness, whatever. And Jesus is inviting you in to say, come and join, be part of God's kingdom, and let me carry that weight for you. The kingdom of God has come here. Repent and believe the good news. And repent is the word metanoia in Greek. And it means to reconsider your life and turn in a new direction. And Jesus invites us as part of the good news to reconsider what we're doing and to start living a new way and to believe the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, so he asks us to join him in seeking out the lost, the broken, the hurting, the disenfranchised, the isolated, the lonely, to say that you are welcome into God's kingdom. Whoever you are, wherever you are, you're welcome. That's the good news. And when we reduce it to our rules and regulations, when we reduce it to saying, well, you can come in, but you can't, when we reduce it, then we're most like the Pharisees, aren't we? Let's be real. It's really easy for evangelicals to become Pharisees. It's a default. We like rules and regulations. We like to know who's in and who's out. We like our definitions. But actually with God, it's so difficult to know who's in and who's out. Because God is at work everywhere. So who am I to judge whether someone's in or someone's out? That's up to God to do. My job is to love and to care and offer the love of God in Christ to everyone. And that means we need to do new things weirdly and wonderfully. So I have a friend, Andrea, and Andrea uh, does some weird things. She goes to spiritualist fairs, and she's reaching out to the steampunk community. Who knows about steampunks? Anybody here knows about? A few of you know about steampunks. Steampunks are people who dress up in 19th century dress but love gadgets, and they're great storytellers. And uh, Andrea goes to these... When she first went to a spiritualist fair... Uh, a Christian friend brought her and said, look, come along and help me. And she said, what are we going to do? He said, we're just going to offer prayer to people here. Yeah, but why would people come, she said. Who's going to come? He said, just, just wait and see. She said, there was a queue to come for prayer ministry in the fair. They were offering for free what others offered payment for. And actually, people were hungry. They were absolutely hungry for spiritual growth. They were hungry for the spiritual. You see, we've moved from religion to spirituality. And there's a whole mass of people out there who are hungry for real spiritual experience, real spiritual growth. And she found that going to somewhere like that 
made a huge difference. Our second reading, if we could have it up. Uh, well, yes, first part. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was Greek. Keep going. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of God would not allow them to. So they passed to Mycenae and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened our hearts to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. This is one of the most significant passages in Acts, and you wouldn't believe it by reading it, would you? Would you say that's a major significant for mission? Anybody? Yeah. yeah, you would. Okay. She's the vicar's wife, so she's allowed to say that. Now, this is really interesting on, on so many levels. So, in the beginning of the book of Acts, the Christian church worshipped where? Anybody want to shout out? In the temple. And what did they do in the temple? They sacrificed animals. Animal sacrifice was part of Christian worship at the beginning of the church. Rather odd, you would probably think now. I don't see many pigeons being torn in half up the front here, thankfully, because you'd probably have a CDM against you if you did that. <laughs> Clergy discipline. Um, but what you see, so therefore the, the entire early church is Jewish. And as you move through those early chapters in Acts, you start this movement from Jerusalem that ends up in Rome. And you move through a different series of stages. So you, you first of all get the Greco-Jewish populations, people like Stephen who was stoned to death. Then you get out to um, the Ethiopian eunuch, who is kind of on the fringes of Judaism. Then you get to the Samaritans, who are seen as heretical by the Jews. And then in Acts 10, you get the first Gentiles, who were actually, on the, again, on the fringes of Judaism, becoming Christians. And then you get into Acts 11, and you find the first Gentiles uh, becoming Christians, and the first time that people are called Christians. And so you, you see this progression that's starting to occur. And the way that Paul does his mission is really very simple. He goes to the synagogue in the city, and he goes and shares the good news about Jesus to the Jewish population there. And then, every time, he's thrown out of the synagogue and often beaten up, and he sets up a church, mainly in houses. So he comes over to Philippi, 
Now, Philippi is interesting because there is no synagogue. So what do you do when there's no synagogue? And the reason there's no synagogue is it is an entirely Roman city. It's not an ancient city, which the Romans have taken over, but this is established by the Romans for ex-soldiers. So it's an ex-soldiers place. And so the next best thing he does is he goes down to the river where he's hoping that there will be some have gathered. To start a synagogue, you needed 10 men, Jewish men. So obviously, they didn't have 10 Jewish men in Philippi. So he goes down to share the good news of Jesus at the riverside. Now, the other interesting thing about this, which is the reason I had Timothy in, is he takes a half-breed with him. He takes someone who is technically Jewish because his mother's Jewish, but he hasn't been brought up Jewish because he hasn't been circumcised. So his father presumably has objected. This becomes a big problem for the Jewish population if Paul's to use him, so he has him circumcised. But basically, he uses whoever he has to hand, and he brings a team with him. Because God wants us to work in teams. So often we've been taught, I have to convert everybody. It's my job, and so therefore we run a mile. But what happens if you start using teams? Well, then you start getting things that are really interesting. So imagine you as a church, you actually went and said, okay, it's lovely to have a Ben here. He's nice, isn't he? He's all right? He's all right? He's okay? Yeah. He's all right. Hanel's pretty good as well. But actually, what happens if we actually said, it's down to you. You're the people that are going to make the massive difference, not the leaders of the church. You are the ones who are going to share your faith at work, in ministries, in outreaches. See, it's great to hear about the job club just now. And I know there's a great dance academy that you do as well. But it, and those may be your thing, and that's great, be involved in them. But there may be other things that you're really passionate about. And if I went and asked you, what would get you out on a cold Friday night in January or February? What are you passionate about? You would have a whole series of different things. It could be loneliness. If it could be children, it could be youth, it could be um, the elderly. It could be so many different things that you might be passionate about that actually, you know what, if I could, if I could choose something to come out for, if, I, if that was being done, I would join in. Now imagine that you as a church here got together and said, okay, so let's release us. Let's use our gifts. Let's use our passions to say, let's do this. Your impact would be enormous. And some of the ideas, others might think are crazy. So I remember in my old church, we had a group, one of the small groups equivalent to your village, uh, who said, do you know what we'd like to do? We would like to do a book exchange stall at the farmer's market. And I'm going, right, a book exchange stall at the farmer's market. Now, because my view was that it wasn't up to me to decide, they went ahead and did it. And what they found is that they created real relationship with people in the farmer's market and visit the farmer's market. They've created real relationship uh, with others around. 
and people have joined the church as a result or joined ministries as a result. You see, what your passion is, is different from mine. What God's put on your heart is different from mine. And if we allow ourselves to be used by God, it's amazing what can be done. You see, Timothy ends up being one of the key leaders in the early church. One of the key leaders of the early church. Do you know what? I've got the titles in the church. I'm a canon, I'm a dean, I'm a director. Yeah, all that sort of rubbish. But do you know what? Half of you could have triple the impact that I can have because God's put his spirit on you and will work with you in a particular situation to bring life to people, to bring hope to people, to enable people to experience God for themselves, to find out that actually God is not about rules and regulations. He's about restoring relationship with him and with each other. That's the hope that God puts in us. And when Paul goes and obeys the Spirit's call, when he's called over by that man in Macedonia in a dream, and obeys that call on his life, the impact is that the church comes to Europe. That the saving hope of Christ comes to Europe. You see, you can have this amazing impact. You could have this amazing impact in this area, in your workplace, amongst your neighbours. When we start working together, when we start allowing the Spirit to lead us, when we realise that we have different contexts in which we minister, that that old, just everybody come to church and everything's sorted, is, a, is an old model that sometimes doesn't always work, but actually we need to get out into the community. There are some amazing ministries going on in Southwark Diocese. We have around about 100 different fresh expressions of church. And the word fresh expressions comes from uh, the Anglican ordinal. When we're ordained, we are called to proclaim the gospel afresh in each generation. That's where fresh expressions comes from. We are called to proclaim the gospel afresh for this generation. We need to be contextualized in how we do it, meaning we need to not just say the only way of doing it is this, but say, how do we reach this particular group of people? And sometimes we get things wrong. You see, we need to be trial, trialing an error a bit. There's one church I know in Wandsworth who were desperate to reach this deprived community. And so they started a worship service, a bit like this one this morning, in this community. And they found that nobody came. Only their own church people came. Well, people might come in for once and then they'd leave because it felt so alien to them. It felt so middle class to them. It didn't cope with the service. And so they've gone in and scrapped that. And what they now do is they're doing a lunch, a communal lunch where people come together, where there's no big agenda, but it's just caring and loving one another. And what they found is that people are starting to come to that. And then they're finding out that the group is meeting beforehand to pray and worship. And they're then coming in to that because they're choosing to. It's not being thrust down their throat. But as they become part of a loving community, they see there's something more and want to be part of that. You see, we need to change how we do things sometimes. These 
I, I love coming here to St. Peter's and the worship, which I have to say, brilliantly led. Thank you. But it can't meet everyone. You know, my favourite art form is opera. I adore opera. And now, let's be real. If we had an operatic church here, there's probably not many of you who would want to stay around. Might be one or two, but probably not many of you. Let's be real. And so, therefore, whatever our favourite is, is fine. It's great. It's wonderful. It builds us up. But we've also got to realise there's a need to reach those who don't. And we need to do things in new ways, in different ways, in multiple ways, to allow us to do it. So you've got an amazing church here, with amazing people, each one of you. And I would like to finish by saying this. I think there are many of you here who have never really considered going out on a limb in ministry for God. Or you may have considered it, but you might have felt no, they're so much better than me. <laughs> but let me give you a final little example. <coughs> Last night at this Archdeacon leaving do, there was something special about some of the clergy of the Church of England. Special, special. We had one of the Archdeacons decided to sing a song from Wicked <laughs> over the Archdeacon who was retiring. Let's just put it this way. It was special. <laughs> special. But she did it. She had the guts to go out and do it. You see, we're so frightened that we might fall flat on our face. But you know this, God uses a mustard seed to grow something special. God wants to use you to do something special. So this morning, I'd like us to pray for you. I'd like to ask you to dedicate yourself to be a disciple of Christ, learning how by training. You see, we focus on trying. Trying is, I'm going to make an effort, and if it goes wrong, I'm going to run away. Do you know what I mean? Training means you take the baby steps, and when you fall over... You don't go, oh, that's it. You go, wow, great. Your baby took the first step. Isn't that incredible? You don't focus on the falling over. You focus on the step. So the same is true for us. What's the baby step we need to take? And how can we invest? You know, if you're not reading your Bibles, which I'm sure many of you aren't, let's be real. You know, it takes six weeks to change a habit. Now, I have to... I'm, She's going to kill me afterwards, but I shall mention it. My beautiful daughter, Isabella, uh, when she was younger, let's put it this way, her eyeball coordination wasn't of the greatest. And what has been incredible to see is, with uh, the support of her fiancé, Ali, is how amazing she's got at taking risks in sport and... Uh, so we've got a video that she shoved around on WhatsApp of her jumping into a frozen Scottish lock at, mid, uh, at New Year's Day. I mean, 10 years ago, she wouldn't have dreamt of doing that. Do you see her? And that's come through training, not trying. 
you try and you fail and you give up. You train and you say, that's my goal, and I need to make steps to get there. And we're called as disciples of Christ to train, not to try. So I want us this morning to pray for you, that there are some of you here today who know this call on you to do something. You're not maybe even sure what it is, but you just want prayer to say, can I take some baby steps to discover what God's calling me to? Because I know that the leadership here would love to see many, many, many of you released into ministry inside and outside the church. Does that make sense? Shall we stand? Can we have the band out? And I'll pray for you and then... Danielle, do you want to... So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the love and grace that calls us. We thank you so much that you care for us immeasurably more than we can ever imagine. And that you want to use us and release us to bring your kingdom, your love and your grace to those who don't know you, those who are feeling bereft, those who are feeling isolated and hurt. And Lord, we pray for your spirit to be released on us this morning to see your kingdom come in this area, to see your will done, to release your people, and to set us free. In Jesus' name, amen.